is Cultured Hollywood for Smart People for Wednesday, August 12, 2020. I am Nico and I am your host. We're talking movies, television, music, and so much more in a way that smart people can enjoy them. That's what we do on this show. Happy Wednesday. Hope you're enjoying this fine hump day. I know I'm just getting over the hump myself. Humping my way through the summer of 2020. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Hey, how are you? How's your 2020 going? Uh, hey, I'm, I'm all right. I'm doing okay myself. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm fine. Experiencing some back pain. Just going to get that out on Front Street. I'm 24 years old. In three days, I am turning 25. Jesus Christ, what am I doing with my life? My quarter centennial in three days, and uh, your boy is experiencing some back pain. Uh, I don't know exactly why. I have a theory. It's a bad one, but it's a theory. Uh, I I think a friend of mine broke my rib. I think I don't know for a fact, but it's been two weeks. So here's what happened, right? Uh, my friend Brian comes over for poker night. We, you know, I often host poker night here because what else am I going to do with my life? Uh, and he walks in, and uh, it's pitch black in the living room where I'm sitting, and I'm watching the Yankees. So the only thing illuminating Brian's face is the uh, the the uh, 55 inch flat screen TV uh, <laughs> that was. Uh, showing Giancarlo uh, Stanton's uh, at-bat two Saturdays ago. Actually, two Fridays ago. And uh, I I look at Brian and rather... You know Brian, right? He's on the Nico show every once in a while. Brian Dossler, good friend of the program. Um, Brian walks in and I look at him and I greet him the way that I usually greet him and the way that I greet most all of my friends... And that is not by saying, hi, hello, how are you, my friend? It's by saying, you look terrible. Which is both an objective fact and also like the quirky thing Nico always says to his friends. That's how I speak to my friends. I don't know how you speak to yours, but to each his own. Some choose to be supportive and coddling. Others choose to, uh, I don't know, knock down a few pegs. And that's what I aim to do every time I see Brian. It's just like, uh, you, you look terrible. You really should shave because that beard slash uh, pubic region is getting quite haggard. Anyway, I say this to Brian as I'm watching the Yankees in a dimly lit room and Brian proceeds to punch me as hard as he can directly in the chest, directly in the rib cage. And at the time, you know, because I'm a guy. And guys are supposed to play it off like they're tough and that they can take a hit. <laughs> I, I just laugh it off. But inside, I'm like, wait a minute. That's a little harder than a punch should feel. That is a little too much pain for a playful jab between friends. You know what I mean? But of course, I don't say shit. And then the following day, I play like five games of basketball um, 10 games of cornhole and, uh, and go swimming in a, in a pool. 
Um, and wouldn't you know it, that same region, including on the backside of my ribcage, not only does that one region on my chest hurt, but directly behind it, if you were to draw a straight line right through my body, it hurts on the opposite side just as severely. And we're coming up on two weeks since the infamous punch, <laughs> since the punch heard around the world. So uh, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I have not gone to the doctor because, God damn it, if Brian Dossler sends me to the doctor, I will never forgive myself. I'll never be able to live that down. <laughs> so again, I'm just machoing this thing out. You know what I mean? I'm just toughing it out. I'm going to be like uh, Tim Allen in Home Improvement. And, uh, you know, it's just because uh, I'm a guy. I'm a meathead guy. <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Hi. What's going on? Let's talk pop culture, shall we? Let's talk about popular culture. Not a ton of stories. Last week, by the way, I should say two weeks ago, I came on this show and I'm like, here we are. The newly retuned culture. It's a brand new podcast. What's old is new again. It's like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. We're bringing it back, but it's darker and grittier. I can't believe that's happening. But I said, I'm going to find new music and, uh, you know, I'm going to play around with the format a little bit and Cultured is here to stay once a week. And then the following week, a major tornado hits the state of Connecticut and renders 700,000 people without power. So kind of picked the wrong week to get back in the swing of things. I apologize, but now I'm back and we're here to talk about the news of the day. Uh, So, okay, movie theaters. Let's talk about this. I want to start here because, um, look, guys, we're in the hospice unit. We're here. Grandma's not going home. And it's time to admit this, right? Like, I don't know if you ever lost a grandparent. I am fortunate enough to be uh, a 25-year-old man, 24 soon to be 25-year-old man that has all four living grandparents intact. Incredible. And not to jinx it, knock on wood or whatever, but like I have a very healthy uh, bloodline apparently. But I'm sure many of you have lost a grandparent or maybe someone closer to you and uh, you've spent some time in the hospice unit of a hospital and it's like, you know that moment when you come to terms with it? Where it's like, oh yeah, this is this is the finish line. This is how the book ends. It's the final chapter. The hospice unit. This is where the storybook uh, reaches its climax. Grandma's not going home, guys. And the sooner we come to terms with it, the better off we'll be. And I know like 2020 has been a tough year for everyone. And we have held out hope that one day we'll see college sports return, that one day uh, we will be able to see a live baseball game or a live NBA game, that one day uh, we will see the return of movie theaters. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. And I understand like the need for hope in, in these very trying times. And I understand like there is a utility to delusion, to the occasional delusion. But all of us movie fans, all of us cinephiles, all of us whose favorite activity is to drive to a movie theater, get a bowl of popcorn, sit in a dark room with a bunch of strangers and watch a film on the big screen. That experience is done, at least on a mass level. AMC is not going to reopen. 
I know what they said a week ago. Like they plan to open later this month. It ain't happening. And if it does, they're not going to be open long enough to have any major impact. AMC is going away. Regal Cinema is going away. Cinemark is going away. Within two years, movie theaters will no longer be a corporately owned venture. There'll be little mom and pop boutiques, perhaps small nonprofit organizations that stay alive through ticket sales and endowments, right? They will be like Broadway shows. Theater prices will be incredibly expensive. They will be few and far between. And the premier way of watching a new film from a major studio will be at home on a streaming service. This is happening. This is happening. And that slow death has been a trickle. Like little news items have been trickling out since March, right? AMC only plans to close a month and now they're going to close two months and now they're going to close four months. But don't worry, Tenet will be out by July. Christopher Nolan is going to save movies and then it gets pushed to August and then it gets pushed to Labor Day weekend. And now only some theaters will debut Tenet this Labor Day weekend. But, but Disney, what about Disney? Major proponent of the in-theater experience. They're going to hold the line. They're going to remain steadfast. Mulan coming to Disney Plus this November. $30. It's over. Get all of the crying out of your system. Grandma's not going home. I, I, I don't get it, man. This is the week. This is the week. We're here. If you have not come to terms with it yet, it's going to hurt a lot more two months from now. I, I not only don't understand audience members thinking they're going to go see Tenet in a movie theater, I, I don't understand members of the entertainment press because they have more information than the average moviegoer. They're reading all of these stories. They're reporting on these stories. I do not understand for the life of me how a member of the entertainment press can report on the universal AMC deal as though AMC is going to be a company in five months. Like, how do you remove that context entirely? I don't get it. I don't get all of this this rosy reporting, this glass half full reporting. You know, this is just blissful ignorance. This is blissful ignorance. I don't understand it. And look, maybe I am uh, I am a little ambitious with my prediction, and maybe I'm shooting my shot. You can at freezing cold takes on Twitter. You know, when AMC comes back and they report the highest quarter revenue in three decades. I mean, whatever. But Like, I, I don't see how you can look at that universal AMC deal or you can look at Disney putting Mulan on Disney Plus or you can look at, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, perpetual delay of tenant and not come to the very obvious conclusion that this is the end of the in-theater experience. I don't get it. What are you all seeing that I'm not? <sighs> anyway, uh, let's, uh, let's look at each of these individual news items then and go a little further down the rabbit hole. This one happened a few weeks ago, and I'm sure you heard it by now. 
AMC and Universal struck a historic deal um, after months of a bitter feud. We talked about this, I think, back in April or May on the program. But uh, Universal puts out Trolls World Tour on streaming services and on demand. And AMC gets all pissed off because they didn't get uh, AMC's permission. And so AMC is like, no more Universal movies in AMC theaters. And Universal's like, well, joke's on you because we didn't want to put any of our movies in your theaters anyway. In fact, here's a Pete Davidson movie with Bill Burr and Steve Buscemi. Um, and uh, it was really catty. It was a it was just a, a grade A cat fight for the ages. And uh, they finally came to the table with one another and they talked out their differences they locked themselves in a room and they said they're sorry and they hugged it out, uh, except virtually because social distancing and everything. And uh, yeah, now Universal Movies are going back to AMC theaters, assuming that AMC theaters ever open, which they're not. And the exclusivity window is now a mere 17 days. What's an exclusivity window? Well, when a movie is put out in a theater traditionally, as part of the licensing agreement, the theater is allowed to show their movie without competition for generally 75 to 90 days. That's a typical exclusivity window. So Regal Cinema, Cinemark, AMC, whatever the chain is, they get the latest Fast and Furious movie for 75 to 90 days without fear of on-demand competition. After the exclusivity window, you can put it on Netflix, you can put it out on Blu-ray, you can put it out on DVD, whatever. Um, as a result of this deal, AMC's exclusivity window with universal movies is now only 17 days, less than three weeks after a movie debuts at AMC universal is allowed to put it on a streaming service is allowed to release it on demand. Uh, the fast and furious movie next year. That's a universal property. Perfect example. It's going to probably hit April to may of next year. I forget exactly when the date was by June. You'll be able to rent Vin Diesel and Dwayne the Rock Johnson from the comfort of your own home. Big deal. Big fucking deal. And other theater chains are not so happy with AMC for caving. AMC obviously gets a piece of the on-demand revenue. Universal has made it worth their financial while. Um, but, you know, for a while there, all these theater owners were in it together. But again, we're in hospice care, guys. It's the end of the road. It's survival of the fittest right now. And it would behoove each of these theater chains to take their money while they can and to get out relatively unscathed. I think this was a smart deal for AMC, assuming that they ever reopen, which they're not. But again, like this is a half measure. This is a half measure. First, it was 90 days exclusivity. Now it's 17 days. Pretty soon it will be zero. That's the trend. Get used to it. Then, of course, Disney says we're putting Mulan out on Disney+. Plus. 30 bucks a month seems a little steep, but do not underestimate what parents are willing to buy their kids to shut them up. Do not underestimate it. <laughs> like, that Trolls World Tour story was baffling to me. Trolls World Tour, uh, I guess, from reports, grossed $90 million domestically just through on-demand sales. $20 on-demand. You could buy the latest Trolls movie. 
I don't understand why some child would demand to watch Trolls 2 and have their parents pay 20 bucks a month when they can just watch Blippi on YouTube. My little cousin, Matea, she's three years old. That's all she watches all day. It's Blippi. It's Blippi and Paw Patrol. It's free already, guys. You know, just watch some Peppa Pig and shut the hell up. I'm not going to pay $20 so an animated troll can sing Beyonce songs. No, there's enough entertainment for you. Blue's Clues is back. You can watch fucking Who Framed Roger Rabbit on, on Disney Plus anytime you want. Moana's up there. All four tours, Toy Stories. I'm going to pay $20 for trolls? Are you nuts? Are you high? Apparently they are. So Mulan is obviously a uh, very popular property from the 90s, particularly with my generation. I don't know like what the kids these days, uh, what their feelings are on Eddie Murphy's dragon in Mulan. Is that Eddie Murphy in Mulan? I forget now. I was not a huge Mulan fan. I got to admit that. I don't know. There was something about, uh, I don't know, the feminine protagonist. (laughs) I think at the age of 10, I didn't realize that girls could kick ass. And then I became 25. And now I know that only girls can kick ass. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Eddie Murphy's in Mulan. But uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know like how excited kids are to see a live action, dark gritty retelling of Mulan, but fuck if I know I would not have guessed that trolls 2 would be like the second coming of avatar but hey more power to him so I'm sure Disney has made a a very smart um, uh, calculated risk here and it's also gonna look drive subscribers to Disney plus which is the bottom line right that's the long game for everyone is to get these streaming services up and running and to get a big subscriber base and to build the library so yeah, I, I, uh, I, again, though, I don't, I don't see how you can see this story and, and not think, wow, they got Disney too. Like if Disney says it's over, it's over. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like Disney is still in the theme park business. It's over. If the company that still has fucking Mickey Mouse as their mascot says out with the old in with the new. Then we're out with the old and we're in with the new. The future is here. Here's another story that I found uh, not surprising, but certainly interesting this week. Sort of flew under the radar and it involves something called the Paramount Consent Decrees. Now, three days ago, I didn't know what the hell the Paramount Consent Decrees were. So I am going into this as blind as y'all. But I read up on it. And now I am here to bestow my knowledge onto you. So buckle in, everyone. (laughs) Let's talk more about theater licensing agreements. So evidently, all the way back in 1948, the Supreme Court ruled on the case United States versus Paramount Pictures. And they uh, ruled to break up the trust, essentially, between physical movie theaters and movie studios. Back in the day... A movie studio and a theater could be in bed with one another. I know. Seems like a distant memory now. (laughs) Back before 
theater owners were throwing shade at movie executives on Twitter. Uh, but a movie theater could own or could be owned by a movie studio. This was, in fact, a common thing. So you could go to, for example, the uh, Paramount Theater down the street and see only Paramount movies. And uh, for some reason, someone thought this was a bad idea. And uh, probably because movie theaters were much more prevalent in those days than they uh, than they are now. So, uh, you know, they said, hey, no, you have to be separate. You can no longer vertically integrate. You could no longer own a movie theater if you're a movie studio. These are two separate businesses and you have to give your theaters to any or you have to give your movies to any theater that wants them. Well, that decision has just been struck down, which means let's say Universal and AMC wanted to go a step further with their licensing agreement. Let's say AMC gets bought out by Universal Pictures, which is a possibility. I mean, Jeff Bezos has already talked about or thought about reportedly the idea of buying AMC. Amazon has its own movie studio. What if Jeff Bezos or the head of Universal said, we want to buy out AMC theater, save them from bankruptcy and take over the business. You could see universal theaters pop up across the country that only show universal movies. You could see Amazon theaters. I know this is a terrifying concept as if there are not enough warehouses, not enough Amazon trucks on the road. You could see Amazon theaters where your old AMC used to be that shows only movies that AMC bought at Sun or that uh, Amazon bought at Sundance. Vertical integration is now possible again in the movie business, which is, I think, again, like I, I don't know the inner workings of this court case. I think that this uh, at least was partly brought about by Trump's Department of Justice. And, you know, obviously Trump's administration is very anti-regulation. And this just may be one of several cases they brought to a federal judge um, to, to strike down. So, uh, I don't know the inner workings of this on either a political or judicial level, but I will say if you're a theater owner, this is a unique opportunity for you. This is a lifeboat. This is a get out of jail free card. Like this is a great opportunity to just get out of the business entirely and sell to Netflix and just, you know, have Netflix theaters all across the country. I mean, this is something that Netflix has already expressed interest in. I think just last year, Netflix bought the Paris theater in New York which is this iconic art house theater um, in downtown Manhattan. They bought it out and they showed Marriage Story during the, uh, the, the Oscar campaign last year. And The Irishman, I think, also screened at the Paris Theater. So they have expressed an interest in turning um, movie theaters into boutique services um, for their films. I think that this decision to strike down the Paramount consent decrees although it doesn't generate a ton of headlines or buzz is a major thing. I think this is a major business opportunity, a major life vest for Regal, for AMC, for Cinemark. But here's the thing, and this is what it all comes back to, right? Your delusion is getting you nowhere. In order to get out of this mess, you have to be honest with yourselves. It's over. It's over. 
And it's been going that way for 10 years and Corona hit and it put the final nail in the coffin. That's generally how things die. It's how people die. Failing health, failing health, failing health. And then that one fall, that one heart murmur, that one stroke, that's the final blow. Things don't just die of natural causes all that often. And movie theaters are the same. AMC was never going to die a natural death, a slow and dignified death. It was going to die with a major final blow. And we're here now. And it's over. And it's time to come to terms with it. At freezing cold takes, Nico DiGregorio said on the Cultured Podcast, movie theaters are never coming back. I so hope to be wrong, but I don't think I am. This is Cultured. We're coming right back. All right. Uh, Here's some more inside baseball to put you asleep on a Wednesday afternoon. bloodbath at warner media i'm going to try to make this as interesting as possible bloodbath at warner media greenblatt riley kakazo out and sarnoff casey bloys in a major betrayal a shocking turn of events you probably don't even know what warner media is warner media of course just bought out by at&t they uh, they own all the Turner Networks, TBS, TNT, CNN, but they also own HBO and Warner Brothers and recently launched, that's right, HBO Max, which I'm sure you still can't figure out how to use. Look, man, I, I don't want to make too much of this news. I don't mean to make mountains out of molehills here, but man, this feels connected to the HBO Max launch. It feels that way. I mean, I'm sure this has been in the works for months. I'm sure the decision was not made irrationally, but it just feels to me like Warner Brothers, Warner Media is not as happy with the launch of HBO Max as they're letting on. I just think there's a lot of spin happening with these numbers. And uh, that change had to be made at the top. There needed to be a massive restructuring. And I know last year when we talked about it, when the AT&T sale happened and the head of AT&T, John Stanky, said that HBO had to ramp up its production and put more content out to compete with Netflix. I think some optimists among us thought that there wouldn't be a major change at HBO. Um, there is a major change happening at HBO. There is a major change happening at every branch of Warner Brothers. And what we are seeing now, and this is what we have been seeing you know, throughout the entire business, is a shift from the traditional television business to the tech business. There is no room for traditional media anymore, at least without a tech component. Every entertainment business is now a technology business in some way. Um, And so now you are seeing Silicon Valley sensibilities seeping into what is a, uh, a pretty rigid entertainment business. You know what I mean? Uh, as much as, uh, as we like to think that entertainment is on the forefront of culture, there are uh, many old business practices that have remained unchanged. I mean, audiences still watch television networks, linear television networks 
in massive numbers. I know those numbers are not as large as they once were, but if you look at the ratings of an episode of Chicago Fire and you look at the number of streams uh, of the new uh, Seth Rogen movie and American Pickle on HBO Max, it, it pales in comparison, right? So, like, traditional media still exists in some form, but again, it's in, like, this weird purgatory. It's in a coma, and it may be in that coma for 50 years before we finally pull the plug. We have no idea. Um, that being said, though, HBO is now a tech company. Warner Media is now a tech company, and that is what these layoffs signify. Bob Greenblatt, old school NBC dude, um, was the head of programming at NBC, I think, for the last decade before recently moving to Warner Media. Kevin Riley, a Fox guy, has FX roots. Um, they are in the linear television business. They are obviously very skilled programmers and understand how the sausage is made in the old model, but like, you know, it's a lot more data driven. Now, uh, the streaming business is, uh, is a major evolution. And I guess the hires up at AT&T and Warner media decided that, uh, these dinosaurs could no longer hang in the clubhouse. So they're out along with, I believe, is it 900 Warner media employees? I mean, it was an absolute bloodbath. This story sort of got buried uh, behind the major layoffs. Um, this is a story from Variety just yesterday. Uh, Jeffrey Schlesinger, Ron Sanders, Kim Williams, uh, all exit Warner Brothers and missed the mass layoffs at Warner Media. Um, yeah, hundreds, hundreds of employees at Warner Media have been laid off. Uh, we're looking at a mass consolidation, but also uh, a a uh, uh, a major uptick in programming. It seems like, I don't know. I feel like these goals cannot coexist, but John Stanky seems to believe that they can. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand how you can demand more content out of HBO, but then lay off half of their staff. Yeah, this just, this seems like a tech consolidation, right? This just seems like a decision that you make. If you are, uh, you know, a former employee of Twitter that's now attempting to make movies. I mean, what do I know? I've never made a movie. I I don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but this is a significant shift. And uh, it's tough, man. If HBO Max was a ravishing success, I don't see how you can make this decision. I don't see how you can get rid of Kevin Riley. I don't see it. You can get rid of Bob Greenblatt. If like... 30 million people signed up for HBO Max in the first month, as was the case with Disney Plus. Like, if they had drastically exceeded expectations, uh, like, I, I don't think you can justify their layoffs. But um, I think at least part of this, I think that's really what I'm trying to say here, right? Perhaps HBO Max was not a reason or the reason why Kevin Riley and Bob Greenbat were let go. But it is certainly the straw that broke the camel's back. And it was certainly enough of a reason and enough of a justification to send them out the door. As far as HBO Max goes, man, I, you know, I'm a big fan of the service. I watched an American Pickle just last night and I thought it was fine. I'll talk about it with Adam on Movie Hall of Fame maybe next week. Um, 
and, and I, I really like their library. I've been watching a ton of Looney Tunes. I, I was just on vacation, as a matter of fact, in North Carolina at my buddy's beach house. And five of us, you know, just spent the entire week drinking and, and uh, riding the waves, essentially, and playing cornhole on the beach. So we would get up probably around nine o'clock, 10 o'clock every morning, and we'd get our cereal ready. And most of us would be hung over. And <laughs> I got to tell you, Looney Tunes was a great hangover cure. <laughs> we watched so much Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> just five guys in their mid twenties on the beach of Carolina, uh, <laughs> just watching Bugs Bunny. It was a real, it was a real warm blanket. It was, it was comfort programming. And like when I saw this library, when HBO Max launched, I, I started playing around with the service. I, of course, have been HBO subscribers, so I already had access to it. Although I, again, wasn't quite sure the difference between HBO, HBO Max, HBO Go, and HBO Now. Uh, but, you know, when I first started playing around with the library, I'm like, wait a minute, Citizen Kane is on here? You know what I mean? Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is on here? Friends is on here? Big Bang Theory is on here? Like, you have, like, a lot of, like, Criterion movies. The Criterion channel, I think half of their library is already on HBO. You have all of the Hayao Miyazaki movies, the Studio Ghibli movies. And uh, you also get Big Bang Theory and Friends. And you get all the Harry Potter movies. I thought the library would be enough. But evidently, that's not what people are looking for. People are not looking for all the Harry Potter movies in one place. People are not looking for all of Friends. And that's kind of shocking because I was under the impression that Friends was the most popular show on TV. Like, I know my sister has watched all of Friends at least six or seven times. I don't think she knows how to get into HBO Max. I think she's too busy watching Kingdom on Netflix. And I think most people are too busy watching Tiger King. You know, you need originals. And that's what I've been saying about Disney and Disney Plus. And I, I, I don't, I, I guess I can't square, I, I can't square this disparity. I don't understand exactly I, 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 here's the thing. There is no simple answer, right? There are a number of factors. Price point is a major factor. First to market is a major factor. Disney debuted last year before Peacock, before HBO Max, before Quibi, um, they, before Apple TV. They had the advantage of debuting early, being first to market, and getting subscribers to give away their credit card information before confronted with the same choice with HBO Max. It's also cheaper. It's half the price Disney Plus is of HBO Max. And it's also specifically targeted to children with that Disney brand, with that Disney label. I'm not sure HBO has that same brand. They have a brand. They have a prestige brand. They have a valuable brand. And that's why Warner Media ended up going with HBO Max as the name for their streaming service. But I'm not sure... It's the library that gets people through the door. Like Disney, the Disney vault, Cinderella, Snow White, Toy Story. Like that gets people, or at least that gets children in the door. That's a library parents are willing to pay for. Uh, Do people really care to see the entire DC cinematic universe in one place? Evidently, the answer is no. It's very confusing to me. When I saw HBO and I played around with it, I'm like, this is 
th- this has the highest likelihood of success of all the new streaming services. I was very skeptical of Disney's original programming. I was very skeptical of Peacock's original programming and library. I was very skeptical of HBO, um, or I'm sorry, of Apple TV's lack of library. I was skeptical of Quibi for, you know, the obvious reasons. But HBO Max, I'm like, this is a library I can wrap my arms around. This is something I am willing to pay top dollar for. And whether it's the price point, whether it's the confusion around the brand names, uh, whether it's ease of use, whether it's availability on Roku and Apple Fire Stick or Amazon Fire Stick, I don't know. But they botched that release. There's no way around it. And I don't know how you can botch that release with a library like they had at their disposal. I mean, I should be seeing billboards for... Every Harry Potter movie on HBO Max. I should be seeing billboards for every Studio Ghibli movie. I'm not sure American Pickle or Love Life or whatever the hell original programming HBO Max has on its platform gets that job done. I don't know. But I do think it is at least partly to blame for Kevin Riley and Bob Greenblatt's um, preemptive exit. Uh, yeah, that's, that's that HBO max. I don't know the streaming wars, huh? Streaming wars. Here's the other thing. We're in a recession. The economy's shit right now. No one's working and like nothing's on TV and Netflix is cheap enough and has a large enough library. And I know for a fact there are households all across the country that are like, yeah, I think like. 15 bucks for Netflix gets the job done. Like I don't get to watch the Yankees every night and maybe I'll have to stream the NBA playoffs illegally. And, uh, I guess occasionally I'll pay 10 bucks to rent a new movie, but I'm just going to cut the cord, cancel my cable subscription and trim it down. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon sounds like enough. And perhaps if we were, you know, in a good economy, <laughs> consumers would feel differently. And I think part of it, too, was like, oh, yeah, people are going to be home. You're going to see a major uptick in in streaming usage. And that's true. And Netflix has increased its market share and has uh, surpassed everyone's wildest expectations for subscriber growth. But it also has left less room, less, um, you know, uh, less of people's wallets can now be devoted to other streaming services. And it's really hard to break through. It's really hard to break through in these streaming wars. I, I, um, I, I heard on another podcast this week, some analysis about this, how the streaming wars was sort of, uh, you know, a, uh, a privileged idea. You know, it's the type of thing you talk about when the economy's good and people are working and everyone's happy, but now everyone's home <laughs> and no one has money. And the government can't agree on how much money we're supposed to get every week. Uh, And so, yeah, like streaming wars my ass. Talk to me in 2022. All right. This is culture. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're talking WAP or WAP or however you pronounce it. Cardi B, Megan B. Stallion after the break. Uh, (laughs) This is how you know. We are just desperate for content. This is how you know we are just alone in the cultural desert. 
And the second we see Cardi B's ass in the distance, perhaps it's a mirage, but we're going to head in that direction nonetheless, because we need something to argue about on Twitter. The culture wars will never end. Not if I have anything to say about it. Um, okay. So WAP, WAP, how do you pronounce it? Wet ass pussy. Just call it wet ass pussy. It's fine. We can handle it. We've heard the word pussy before. Some of us have actually seen one. (laughs) Apparently not Ben Shapiro. I'm not going to do the Ben Shapiro thing. Uh, (laughs) And just read the lyrics to wet ass pussy. Or am I? Okay, this is my favorite verse of wet ass pussy. Um, (laughs) When Cardi B talks about giving a blowjob. This was my this is my uh, my favorite one. Here it is. Ready? Uh, Pussy a one. Just like his credit. He got a beard. Well, I'm a try trying to wet it. I let him taste it. Now be now he diabetic. (laughs) I don't want to spit. I want to gulp. I want to gag. I want to choke. I want you to touch that little dangly thing that swing in the back of my throat. that's my favorite verse because i think it's the most relatable i think of this entire song like that's the one that i i just i i vibe with it the most uh yeah because we all call it that little dangly thing in the back of the throat who knows what that thing's called let me search for dangly thing in the throat <laughs> oh look at this google gave me the <laughs> I typed in dangly into Google and it auto completed dangling thing in the back of the throat word. Uvula. Yeah, it's a uvula. I don't know. It's that thing that uh, used to use as a punching bag in the cartoons. Remember that? Like in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or something. Or when Pinocchio got swallowed by the whale, he punched the uvula. No one knows what it's called. Cardi B, I, I feel you, girl. That little dangly thing in the back of the throat. <laughs> My head game is fire. Punani Dasani. Don't know what that means. I'm going in dry and it's coming out soggy. I ride on that thing like the cops is behind me. <laughs> I spit on his mic and now he's trying to sign me. Woo. All right. I will admit. I will admit. I don't have much to say about WAP. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> far be it from me to speak about uh, how Cardi B is affecting the moral pulse of this country and you know how it you know the uh the uh (laughs) the flippant sexuality and vulgarity of this song is affecting our youth I'm not going to delve into those waters because I really don't have any opinion on it I just find the song funny and I really don't understand how this is any different from like Kanye West on the life of Pablo or the Lonely Island, any Lonely Island song. I mean, jizzed in my pants and WAP. Is there any difference? I just had sex. That song features Michael Bolton. Come on. No, wait a minute. Michael Bolton's on the Captain Jack Sparrow song. Shoot. Akon? I don't know. I haven't listened to Lonely Island in, in like seven years. But you get my point, right? Like I, I, I'm not one of those people that's like, yes, 
Cardi B is rapping about blowjobs. Go feminism. Like, I don't think like this is the greatest form of fe- feminism. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I don't picture Rosie the Riveter when I hear this song. And so, like, I think it's a little bit of a stretch to call this a feminist statement or a, or a major form of social justice. But I do think, like, there is a bit of a double standard. Like, men can definitely get away with more, more, more vulgarity than women can. Um, and especially in, like, a comedic context. Like, this is just funny. It's just funny. You know what I mean? It's the same thing. Like, when Amy Schumer or, or Sarah Silverman talks about sex or Whitney Cummings talks about sex on stage, it's the same double standard. Like, I... I view this song as like a purely comedic exercise i don't think it's meant to be any more than that i don't think cardi b would claim that it's any more than that i don't think she thinks she's making a great piece of art uh and i don't think that anyone thinks this is grammy like (laughs) grammy award-winning music although i'm sure cardi b has a couple grammys by now i just think it's comedy and i think it's funny and i saw this video and i laughed I laughed. I don't think it's great music. I don't think it's great art. I don't think like the music video is like going to be shown side by side with Thriller in a museum in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But I don't know. I got a good laugh out of it. How about that Kylie Jenner thing, though? Yo. <laughs> that Kylie Jenner cameo. It's not even a feature. Like she walked in there as if she was about to rap and i'm like holy shit kylie's gonna (laughs) kylie goes from self-made quote-unquote billionaire to rap icon you know what that reminded me of when she walked into that music video so i don't know if you haven't seen the video it's not for the faint of heart uh if you don't enjoy big asses and uh and uh i don't know (laughs) mentions of sloppy blowjobs maybe this video isn't for you but uh so halfway through like it's this chick megan the stallion is rapping with cardi b and they're dancing around and they're wearing pasties and like skimpy outfits or whatever and like the the the, uh, the bass drops or i guess the beat drops and it just becomes silent and you just hear like the clicking of three inch heels And all of a sudden, here is a scantily clad Kylie Jenner walking down a hallway into a door with a tiger in it and leaving. And that's the entire that's the entire cameo. She doesn't say a word is not featured on the track in any way, shape or form. It reminded me of that SNL sketch. What up with that? You know, that Keenan Thompson thing. Where the whole joke is that Keenan Thompson is like the host of a like a Soul Train esque um, talk show where it's just all style and no substance. It's just constant bells and whistles, nothing but music and backup dancers. And Keenan Thompson will go, "Ooh wee, what up with that? What up with that?" And there'll be like two mega famous people. It'll be like Samuel L. Jackson, Robert De Niro. And it's always Bill Hader as Lindsey Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac. And the whole joke is that Sam Jackson may talk for a couple sentences, but Robert De Niro isn't going to get a single word in. And the whole joke is that Robert De Niro is just sitting in the chair and they never get to him. And Lindsey Buckingham, it's this constant thing where he always gets mad that there's not enough time for him. 
Uh, that's what it reminded me of. Like the whole joke is that Kylie Jenner is there and she's walking. <laughs> Just iconic comedy. Unbelievable stuff. Uh, also, uh, this song kind of fucking slaps. I'm not going to lie. This song kind of slaps. I'm into it. No judgment on the intellectual content. Not going to talk about what this is doing to the kids, but the song kind of slaps. Whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. Whores in this house. I don't get Cardi B. I never got Cardi B. I think I'm starting to get Cardi B. All right. Uh, (laughs) That's all I have to say about that. Thus concludes my dissertation on saturated female genitalia. All right. Uh, All right, you wet ass pussies. That's enough (laughs) for this episode of Cultured. Thanks for being here. I, I really think we covered... Just just the the entire the entire Hollywood ecosystem this week. I really think like we just I gave you anything you could possibly want plus a little more that you definitely didn't want. Give you a little inside baseball, gave you the business side of things, gave you the political side of things, and gave you the damp ass pussy side of things. I think we've done it. Think we've done it. That's all you need to know. That's been the news. And I hope you do come back next week. I didn't even get a chance to talk about TikTok. That's eh, all right. I don't want to talk about TikTok. Uh, we'll be back talking movies, television, music, and so much more in a way that smart people can enjoy them next week. Uh, hopefully, we'll be up and running with the video set up by then. No promises, but I want to start doing video once more. I did it a couple years ago at this point, right? It's been over a year since Cultured was a video podcast. And uh, I liked it. I I just didn't love how much work it was. And I'm looking to reduce that work. Um, And I think think we're going to get there. I'm working on it. Maybe by next week, we'll have some new music and a video set up. But assuming that a major tornado doesn't hit the Northeast United States, we will be back next week, same time, same place, for more cultural goodness. So please do come back then. Check out the Discord. Go to the website tmt.media or too many thoughts media.com and you can join our Discord. We are, we are uh, just always going back and forth with each other. We have a nice little community on there. I think 40 listeners plus on the Discord at this point. It's, it's really an incredible thing. Uh, it's the easiest way to get a hold of me or Nick or Adam or Rob or any of the other hosts on this website. Um, we're constantly going back and forth. A lot of Big Brother talk because Big Brother All-Stars is heating up and I am watching it and enjoying it. And uh, it's just great. It's a lot of fun. So join the Discord by clicking the link on the sidebar of the website. And that's also where you can find Why Is This a Thing, Movie Hall of Fame, um, Two Cents Radio, Fantasy Book of the Month, all the other uh, just rollicking fun podcasts on the website. It's really, It's a really great time. I love you. Come back, won't you? Because you know what happens then? You and I, we get cultured. See ya. See ya.